I love a mystery only because of selfish reasons. It's this puzzle that I feel like only I can solve. But it's more than just a puzzle, it's real life, which slightly makes it even more exciting. Even though I don't know anything about detective work, I always have this feeling that I can solve that mystery. The tale I'm about to tell you is a hundred year old mystery. It's about a man who is personable, exciting, and charismatic. It's about a man who was killed and no one knows why. It's about a man who, in the end, became a mystery. Not solely because of his death, but because the man everyone knew was a facade. This is that mystery I want to share. My name is Ellie, and welcome to Tales of Two Cities podcast. Hello? Welcome. This is Tales of Two Cities. It was the 1910s, and movies were starting to take off. There weren't a lot of directors at the time, but there was William Desmond Taylor, an actor turned director. Desmond had worked on dozens of films and was loved by everyone. However, that wasn't his name. His name was William Dean Taylor. William Dean Taylor, or William Desmond Taylor, was born on April 26, 1872, in Carlow, Ireland, to, to a retired British Army officer, Major Kearns Dean Tanner of the Carlow Rifles, and his wife, Jane O'Brien. Taylor went to Marlborough College in England, but then left and worked at a dude ranch in Kansas. During that time, Anglo-Irish men were sent to the United States to learn to be gentlemen farmers. In Kansas, Taylor was introduced to acting and eventually moved to New York. In New York, Taylor met and courted Ethel May Hamilton, a Broadway actress who went by Ethel May Harrison. The couple married in an Episcopal ceremony on December 7, 1901. They had a daughter, Ethel Daisy, a year or two after. Despite being a very social individual and part of a well-liked family in New York, Taylor vanished on October 23, 1908. Friends excused his disappearance, saying that Taylor had suffered from mental lapses before and his family had thought he had wandered off during an episode of amnesia. His wife managed to get a divorce from him in 1912. After that, the history of Taylor is a bit shaky. He traveled to Canada, Alaska, and northwestern United States. He worked various jobs from gold mining to acting. Eventually, Producing became his calling, and he arrived to San Francisco around 1912. He then changed his name to William Desmond Taylor. Afterwards, he moved to Los Angeles. 
Between 1914 and 1915, Taylor had already made several films as an actor, but made his directorial debut with The Awakening in 1914. But then World War I started, and Taylor, as well as other men, went to war. After a stint with World War I, Desmond directed possibly 40 more films. It's difficult to really know how much work was placed in the, in the silent movie era, mostly because nearly 90% of all silent movies are lost. He became well-liked, so much so that he became the president of the Motion Pictures Director Association. Even as an actor, Taylor was exceptional. When playing the character Captain Alvarez in 1914, Taylor rode a horse at full gallop across the rope bridge, which, at that time, was the most dangerous stunt in cinema history. His ex-wife Ethel saw the film and promptly contacted him. He then made his daughter his legal heir. At 7.30 a.m. on Thursday, February 2nd, 1922, a scream was heard at the Alvarado Court Apartments. Taylor's body was found inside the bungalow. An interested and busybody crowd gathered inside and mysteriously someone stepped forward and declared himself a doctor. He then made a courtesy examination of the body and, and declared that Taylor had died of a stomach hemorrhage. People were stunned. That doctor was never seen again. Because there were some doubts about his death, Taylor was examined again. It was revealed that he had died from a gunshot wound in the back from a small caliber pistol. It was also revealed that William Desmond Taylor was a lie. Friends were stunned to hear that Taylor was William Cunningham Dean Tanner. Taylor was buried on February 7th, 1922 at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. If you would like to know more about the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, check out our first episode. It's terrible and we have no idea what we were doing, but I did do my research, so you will learn a thing or two. Like most Hollywood scandals, the police department faced a lot of dead ends. Production companies tend to hide scandal in order to continue being holy. However, there were some small breadcrumbs. Neighbors reported hearing a gunshot sound on the night of the murder. A few witnesses came forward claiming to have seen a man with dark hair leave Taylor's apartment that night before. Even Mabel Normand, the actress Taylor was seen at the time, was the last person to see him alive. Norman had stopped by briefly to grab two books. She and Taylor talked about a certain incident where he had to bail his friend PV out of jail for soliciting young men. He also expressed concern for his secretary, who had run away from after forging checks of his. Since Taylor had been dead for nearly 12 hours before the police showed up, there were rumors that Hollywood executives were ominously burning papers in the fireplace, and celebrities were coming and going, taking the items that were theirs. There was also a list of suspects that came with the Taylor mystery, one of which was Mabel Normand. 
She was the last person to see him alive. She was reported to have as having a cocaine addiction, and it was rumored that Taylor had reported her dealers to the police. One theory was that the dealers had put a hit on him in response. Another was Mary Miles Minter, a child actress that worked with Taylor for a couple of films. It was rumored that Taylor and Minter had an affair. Taylor was 49, Minter was 16. One theory was that either she killed Taylor in a jealous or passionate rage, or her mother, Charlotte Shelby, killed Taylor either to protect her child from a predator or because she too was in love with Taylor. Shelby allegedly owned a rare 38 caliber pistol and unique bullets that were very similar to the ones that killed Taylor. In an interview, Shelby stated, In an interview, Shelby stated, Yes, I remember that night, nearly eight years ago. I want to forget it. Of all, Mary and I have nothing to say. She is in good hands and will take care of herself, I'm sure. In those days, my whole life was wrapped up in her. It was my work. Now I must fight for vindication. I've had enough of this, and I'm going to ask that they put an end to the case once and for all. Mr. Taylor is dead. My daughter, Margaret, and I are still alive. We must be protected and not crushed by this gossip. That's why the truth must be revealed. The truth must be spoken. The truth must be printed. Of course, I have heard the dastardly whisperings about me and my connection with the case. I have heard them all, that I was in love with Mr. Taylor, that I owned a gun that used to practice on the target of a short time before the murder, that I went to Mr. Taylor's apartment early one morning searching for Mr. Taylor and threatening him with death, that I had made many other threats, and so on and so on. Each and every one of these rumors and whisperings is ridiculous one by one. Let us have them one by one and see. I did have a gun. It was given to me by a jeweler friend of ours in Santa Barbara way back in 1916. It was a long time before Mr. Taylor was killed. We lived alone, no men, folks in the household. Our friend bought the gun to the house one night. He said I must keep it. Mrs. Shelby said she did not remember what had become of the gun. She said she had no recollection of bringing it back to Los Angeles when the household moved from Santa Barbara. Quote, now about that visit to Mr. Taylor's house. I do not remember the time of his visit. It was not as it had been whispered around shortly before Mr. Taylor's murder. I did not storm into the house with a loaded revolver in hand, and it has been whispered around I did not threaten Mr. Taylor, as it has been said. To the world in general, the Taylor murder case brought thrills, mystery, and glamour of big names, but to others it brought tragedy and sorrow." End quote. After the murder, 300 people across the country confessed to the murder. To provide damage control, William Hay became the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Directors Association 
heading a censorship and studio control campaign in Hollywood in order to clean up its image, causing a widespread witch hunt of censorship that caused the goody two-shoes Western culture. So, in the end, William Desmond Taylor's death not only brought a death of a person, but a death of art and a creation of censorship. I think it's human nature for us to solve mysteries because we want to solve puzzles. Our brains are always evolving, always growing, and we need to challenge we need the challenge for us to be better and to evolve. However, some mysteries are not meant for us to solve, which drives us mad. Some mysteries, like this one, will be buried with the culprits that did it. Will be gone until the end of time. And all we can really do is reminisce and hope if we could see it through a different angle. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast device. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher, so please join us there too. If you want to have more than just free stuff, check out our Patreon. Nikki and I create special episodes for the one-time fee of $5. We also offer merch, shoutouts, and other deals as well. If you want to represent us, please check out our merch store on TeePublic. We offer many exclusive uh, Tales of Two Cities items, as well as other items from artists all over the world. If you want to talk, write to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and at our email at talesofthenumber2citiespodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, and we generally love telling your stories on our podcast as well. But, and above all, and also most importantly, thank you so much for listening to this episode.